We are uh, in the book of 1 Peter, as we've been working through this, uh, this letter. Uh, remember, we've seen that Peter, one of Jesus' original uh, 12 uh, disciples, one of his uh, authorized spokespersons, has been writing to churches in Asia Minor, which is in the region of modern-day Turkey, and they are experiencing persecution and suffering uh, for following Jesus. Uh, it hasn't gotten uh, uh, to the uh, intensity and the level that uh, they are uh, widespread suffering physical, bodily persecution or death. At this point, it's more verbal, taunting, uh, social shame and being considered an outcast. But they are suffering nonetheless. And for the, the folks in, these, uh, in this, uh, these churches that Peter's writing to, Prior to coming to, to know Christ and following him, their life really would have been pretty uneventful. Uh, they would have been able to go about their normal life in society and in their communities that they lived in uh, and just blended in, experiencing no persecution or difficulty. They would have been able to work in their places of, uh, of employment and vocation without fear of being rejected or maligned for following Christ, and they would have gone in every uh, morning and gotten off every evening, if that was their work schedule, and, uh, and not thought twice about uh, what had gone on that day. And then when they would have come home, there would have been no fear of experiencing uh, persecution or trouble or strife in the context of their home. Uh, but all of that changed when they came to trust in Christ. And what was just normal, everyday, uh, easy, comfortable living became hard and difficult and trying overnight. It became hard to live in your home. It became hard to go to work. And it became hard to just walk and interact and live in society. Life was easier for them without Jesus. The question is, was it better? You see, maybe they began to have questions of beginning to wonder, have I done something wrong? Is my Christianity broken? Have I, have I, am I approaching this in the wrong, wrong way? Is, is God upset? Is he angry with me? Is this why I'm going through this? Has he abandoned me or rejected me? Is he punishing me? Did, did I miss out on something? Am I not praying the right way? Uh, was I too bad before I came to know Jesus and now he's coming back to get me to d just work off this this debt that I that I owe him? Maybe maybe it would be easier if I if I fled from him, if I ran from him, because it seems like the closer I've gotten to Jesus, the harder my life has gotten to live here in this Roman society. Peter is writing to folks in these churches who are having these questions, who are having these struggles before it gets even more intense than it is now. I don't know if you remember back when your uh, times when you were in school and uh, exam time or test time was coming up and maybe your teachers would offer uh, an exam review or test review. I remember in college, this was always something that I made sure that I went to because every now and then you would get a nice teacher's assistant or a nice uh, professor who would give you some very important information. They would let you know what was going to be on the test so that it wouldn't come as a surprise, 
so you wouldn't freak out in the midst of the exam when it all of a sudden comes upon you and it's a surprise of not realizing this is what you were going to face in the midst of the exam. And it would help you better be prepared so that you, when you came into the exam and saw what was on the page, you're like, oh, I knew that that was coming. For some of us, it was like, well, whether I know it was coming or not, I'm, I'm sunk. But in general, you have been able to prepare and be ready for it. And here, our Heavenly Father, our good and kind creator and deliverer is writing to his people through his apostle to communicate and let us know what we will be facing before it gets intense, before we encounter it wholesale, so that we're ready, so that we're not surprised, so that in the words of Peter that we've already seen, we will know the true grace of God and stand firm in it. So let's look together. We're in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. We're going to look at beginning in verse 12. We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter, so down to verse 19. So if you want to follow along with me in your copy of God's Word, you can. If you don't have anything with you, there's Bibles underneath some of the seats. This is on page 1016 uh, in those black Bibles there. So please uh, give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your, your, your grace, your, your mercy to us. We thank you that you love us and that you are preserving us. We pray that this morning, through your scriptures, you would equip us to persevere in your preserving love, stand firm in your grace. You draw our hearts and our, our, our attention and our focus to what you have to say and communicate to us this morning. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here, as, uh, as Peter is writing to these churches, as God is, is through Peter communicating and speaking to us this morning, uh, we're going to see three things that he's, uh, that he's encouraging. I want to draw our attention to three things uh, as Peter is preparing us, our expectations, our perspective on these trials, these struggles, these persecutions that we will face as God's people. First, we're going to see that, that what we're going through is purifying. It's not punishing. Uh, we'll see that it should lead us to assurance, not a sense of abandonment. And that it should lead us to entrust ourselves to God, not evade his presence and his love. So first, let's look and see how, how Peter draws our attention 
to, to seeing that the, the struggles that we face are purifying. They're not punishing. Look in verse 12, what Peter says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Here, Peter, the, the good and wise and gracious teacher is instructed from Jesus himself is communicating to us and letting us know, look, if you're a believer and you're going through persecution and struggles and trials for following Jesus, uh, your Christianity isn't broken. You haven't done anything wrong. This is the way that, that it should go. Don't be surprised if you experience this. It's coming. Many of you already know that. You're experiencing it. But you need to know it shouldn't come as a surprise. It's not something strange. In fact, this is in many ways the way following Jesus plays out in our lives and in this world as we await his coming. Notice what Peter says, that the, 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 the trials and the struggles that we're facing, the persecution for following Christ is purifying. It's not a punishment. Look at the, even the language that he uses there. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He's using this fire language, this testing and proving language. We've already seen Peter use this before. I don't know if you remember earlier on, uh, as Peter was talking about it, he's, he's talking about the, the work that God is doing in our lives and how he uses these persecutions like the purification process with metals as they're heated up to burn away the impurity so that all that is left is pure metal to the praise and glory of God. Peter is saying what you're going through isn't punishment. God is purifying you. You're going through a fiery test, a trial, as God is working to, to, to take away uh, what is uh, impure, the struggles, anything that you're clinging to other than him, that your hope and your reliance and your trust would be on him. He is not punishing you as his people when you suffer for doing good, when you suffer for following and hoping and resting in Jesus. Uh, in, in fact, look down in verse 19, the, the other language that Peter uses. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. It's God's will. His good purposes to bring these trials, to bring persecution into the lives of his people, not for punishment, but for purifying. When I was at NC State, um, you know, some guys there who, their, their degree was in uh, forest management. Like, they were going to school to learn how to take care of not just one tree, but acres and acres of forest, whether it's for paper companies or uh, for uh, our, our park system or whatever it may be. And I remember going with one guy out to uh, one of the labs that he had, and they had some of the coolest labs. Um, they went out, and at first you're, you're watching what they're doing. They're going out with these fire packs on, and they're going underneath the, the, the forest that they're supposed to be caring for and taking care of, and they're introducing fire into these forests. And they're beginning to burn them, and they're starting these fires that are sweeping through hundreds and thousands of acres of the forest that NC State owns. And at first, you're looking at it, and you're, you're, you're thinking, what are you doing? You're supposed to be caring for these forests. 
And here you're bringing in the very thing that brings destruction to forests. What is going on? But then you begin to realize that, that the fire that they're bringing brings destruction for some things in the forest, but it brings life and purification and cleansing for others. Because what they were doing is what they were burning out underneath all the stuff that inhibited and limited the growth of the good stuff in the forest that would uh, suck away nutrients that these trees that they were trying to develop and grow needed, that would rob and grow up and block out the sunlight that others needed, or diseased trees that were growing on. And in fact, there, there are some types of, uh, of, uh, of trees where when they drop their pine cones, their pine cones will not release the seed until uh, a fire comes and the heat builds up enough that these pine cones open up and the seeds pop out. It's under the, the, the intense pressure and, and heat, the, the trial of the fire, that it begins to spread and grow in the midst of these trials. You see, that's what Peter is pointing us to, that God, he's not punishing the forest. He's not punishing you as his people. He's bringing these fiery trials for your good, for your benefit, to purify you, that we would grow more to reflect the glory of our God, and that us, as the forest of God, would grow and expand to demonstrate his glory. But just like in the, the, the forest fire that comes, although it brings life, to the trees that they're trying to protect, it burns away and it brings destruction to the things that don't belong. And here, Peter points us to the very same things. Look in verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Here, Peter, as he's talking about judgment beginning at the household of God, he's not speaking of judgment as in thinking that, the, that, it, that it means in this context condemnation or like what we've been talking, punishment. He's talking about judgment as in the decision or the evaluation, the determination that a judge makes. And God begins that work in his people identifying and designating us as being his people and the work that he's doing in our hearts and our lives. You are mine. I recognize and see that as I've adopted you into my family, as you've hoped and rested and putting your faith in the crucified and risen Christ. And I am working in you. But notice what Peter says, that it's hard. This work that God is doing in our lives, this determination, this judgment that he has made upon us is difficult. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Uh, here he's not saying that we're, we're kind of barely saved, is wondering whether Jesus' work is going to be enough or not. He's highlighting the difficulty and the hardship that it went through, that it took the death of God himself on behalf of his people to redeem and save us, but also realizing the work that God is doing in our hearts is hard. That's why it's called a trial. It's difficult. Peter is saying it is going to be hard. But realize and recognize this. If it's going to be hard for us, as the fire of God's proving and purification comes, as difficult for us as it burns away our hard-heartedness and our sin that we would only hope and rest in him, what is going to happen to those who have rejected Jesus? How difficult and hard will it be for them, Peter says, 
And the fact is we look and see the, the suffering that we experience, the persecution for following Christ now, it shows us of how much more difficult it will be when the fires of purification come, purifying us as God's people who have hoped and rested in Christ. But it will result in the eternal destruction of those who do not obey the gospel call to look and hope and rest in Jesus and only Jesus. Here, Peter is pointing us to rest in the truth of the gospel because in the midst of, per of persecution, Satan is going to love to bring doubts and questions in the hearts and minds of God's people of beginning to, to, to wonder, was Jesus enough? Was Jesus' death enough for me, or do I need to go through more punishment now in order to make it into God's kingdom? Was Jesus' death sufficient to deliver and save his people? Peter says, no, that it was. So sufficient that now you must cling to the truth and the sufficiency of Christ your Savior and Redeemer who died to take away sin, that what is going on in your life now as God's people when you suffer persecution is not punishment. It is purification because Jesus was enough. Well, if, if that's true, if we are going through a, a, a purifying test and purifying fire, not the fire of punishment from our God, then Really, what that should begin to, to point us to is assurance. Assurance of his love. Assurance of who we are as his. And notice, that's where Peter moves next. That as we experience these, these persecutions and the suffering for following Christ, that it should build up assurance in God's people, not a sense of abandonment. Look in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share... Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice? Rejoice in suffering? Remember, we saw this when we were going through Acts, that Peter and the other disciples, when they experienced persecution and beatings and arrests, they were released from prison and they praised God for the privilege of being able to suffer with and for Jesus. Where does this come from? It comes from what Peter is pointing us to now, of remembering that as we have hoped and trusted in Christ, we've been brought into his family. We've been identified with him. What did Jesus tell his disciples? How did the world treat Christ? We saw they rejected him. He suffered. He, per he was persecuted. He ultimately died. And now what we've seen, what Peter is calling us to, is because we are a part of God's family, we are to live Christ-like and cross-shaped lives. If the world rejected Jesus, how do you think it's going to respond to you as his people? You are being rejected as you follow Jesus because you are sharing in his sufferings. You have the, the, the privilege of being able to live a life that is reflective of suffering for Jesus, suffering with Jesus in the midst of this world. Look in verse 14 as he continues to, to go on. If you, are insulted for the, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory 
and of God rests upon you. Remember, this is mainly what the people were experiencing at this point were insults. Insults because they, they, they bore the name of Christ. Later, he goes on in verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You realize what Peter is saying here? You have the name of Christ on you. You have been brought into his family. The reason you're suffering for his name is because his name is yours. You are a part of his people. He's redeemed and saved you. Uh, in fact, even as, as uh, Peter talks there in verse 14 to understand the depth of this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Old Testament church was going through the, the wilderness. They recognized and realized God's presence among them as his glory would descend and fill the temple. And now the picture and the reminder here for the people of God. Remember, we've already seen Peter describing this, that we are being built into the temple, the house of God. And God is saying here, as you are being rejected for my name, as you are suffering and struggling for my name, it is not because you have been abandoned. It is because you are a part of my people. My spirit dwells upon you because it's been poured out by the risen Jesus, the ascended and exalted one. And you are a part of my people. My glory is upon you. And the day will come where just like Christ first went through suffering and then experienced glory, you too, as you experience the sufferings of Jesus, await and you as well will rejoice when the day of his glory comes. Uh, here, as we're, we're seeing, Peter, again, is, is pointing us back uh, to uh, understanding our identity as the people of God. And one way, the way that we could view suffering and persecution is it's reinforcing and underscoring the message that we received in our baptism. Remember when Peter pointed us to baptism before? He's pointing us to what God is saying the promises that God has given his people. But as you look and hope and trust in me, you are mine. I'm marking you as different and distinct from the world. It shouldn't surprise you if you are distinct and different from the world because you bear my name, because you are my people, because you're resting and hoping and trusting in Christ that they would reject you, that they would malign you. So when you experience that, don't Go to a place of feeling and questioning whether you have been abandoned. Instead, let it reinforce the reality of the fact that they're rejecting you because you don't belong to them. They're rejecting you because you belong to your God. And they rejected him when he walked on this earth. We are called to live a Christ-like and cross-shaped life. And as we embrace and cling to the true grace of God, we are going to experience this persecution, this rejection, these trials. Um, I, I don't know if uh, many of you had the, the chance to, to go to either college uh, basketball or football games or even high school games. Not so much home games, but I'm more thinking about if you ever traveled and went to an away game to watch your high school play another school or to watch your college play uh, uh, at another, another college. The, the first thing you realize if you ever go and travel to go watch your team play somewhere else 
is immediately when you enter into their space, you recognize, I do not belong here. Um, I have on red, and everybody else here has on blue, and I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Especially like me, if when you, I was in college, um, I, I had friends who went to Chapel Hill, they would get us tickets. And the tickets that your friends get you are in the student section. So immediately as we walk in, we are three red shirt-wearing guys in the midst of a sea of blue. And what do we experience? We know we don't belong. They know we don't belong. And they let us have it. And we hear their taunts. We hear their maligning. We hear their jokes and their ridicule all before the game, all during the game. And you may be tempted in the midst of that, of beginning to question and wonder, did I make the right decision? Should I have worn this NC State shirt into the student section at a Carolina game? Maybe I would have been better to not wear it at all. Maybe I should have just worn brown. Or, no, what would have been even better is if I would have just worn blue and just secretly cheered for the Wolfpack. But you see, you wouldn't believe this now, but every time I went to an away game at Chapel Hill, NC State won. <laughs> so the, the, the suffering, the taunts, the maligning, although I didn't necessarily rejoice in it when it was happening, at the end of the game, when we experienced the glory of the victory, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And I realized, you know what? I never should have wanted to not want to identify with my team. And here, Peter is saying the same thing. Do you not realize that it's going to be hard? It's going to be difficult. You will stick out. You will be maligned. You will be rejected. You will be mistreated. But the glory that awaits when Christ returns, what he has secured for you as his people will be worth it. So when the time comes, don't evade and run from your God. Don't try to, 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 to blend in with the culture and the people around you. Instead, entrust yourself. Notice, that's how Peter closes up. In calling us to entrust ourselves to our God, not to evade and run from Him. Look in verse 13 and 19. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, the temptation would be in that context and ours when shame begins to come up. When people begin to mock you and ridicule you, begin to push you to the outside of the communities that you once found yourselves uh, uh, involved in, in your classroom, on your block, in your family, you may begin to second guess, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to be identified with Christ, to be known as a, a child of my Heavenly Father? Because this is hard. Especially hard when I'm reading these passages that tell me it is God's will that I go through these sufferings and these trials. Is he good? Is he trustworthy? 
Sometimes I feel like I would rather entrust myself to myself and hide because I don't really want to find out if God is sufficient and good enough to provide and protect and preserve me in the midst of this suffering. I'd never want to enter into the situation. Peter says, no, don't evade him. Run to him. Entrust yourselves to a faithful creator. You realize what he's saying? The Jesus that you're hoping in is not just some poor Jewish carpenter. He is the creator of the world. The one that you are entrusting your whole self to is the one who spoke all things into existence. Remember what we said when we went through Genesis, if you were here. By the time Genesis 1 ends, there's nothing left for any other God to do. That's the God you serve. Throughout the scriptures, what do we see this powerful and mighty creator doing? Laying wreckage to all the false gods of the world and continuing to deliver his people. Even if they have to wait, he is good. And ultimately, how do we see it happen? What did this creator do that we're entrusting ourselves to? He became a creature. He took on flesh to suffer and die for you. Can you trust him? The cross says yes. The resurrection says yes. Satan would love to attack his, your, God's people and to bring into question God's goodness. His ability to provide for you, to care for you, to preserve and protect you. It's been a scheme all the time. Can you really trust him? He's got his best interest, not yours. Peter says no. Entrust yourself to the faithful one because Christ's death has secured your deliverance. You may lose your body temporarily, but you will experience glory when Christ returns, redeems and restores all things, and you get your body back better than it ever was when they bruised and broke and stole it from you. Trust him. He's good. Here, Peter, encouraging us, God speaking to us through his apostles, reminding us that the, the sufferings that we experience are purifying. They're not punishment. They are to increase our assurance, not to bring in and instill a sense of abandonment. And we at all times shouldn't evade our God, but entrust ourselves to the one, the creator who gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good, good news of the gospel. You know our struggles. You know our fears. You know how hard it is for us uh, to believe. Uh, we believe. We ask you to help our unbelief this morning. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.